Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. We have an amazing show for you today, but before we get into that, I hope that all of you had a successful NaNoWriMo. It's December 1st today. That chapter is behind us. I hope that you have a book that uh, that at least you have a great start on, and that over the next couple of months, maybe finish that manuscript, work on some editing, and you know, next year we'll we'll talk all about whipping that novel into shape and taking it from there. So those shows are coming. Uh, we're going to take a little break today. We've been airing episodes with chapters of our audiobook, and today we've got a special author interview for you with Terry Brooks, Living Fantasy Legend. You're going to love this show. It was an amazing conversation we had with Terry, and I know you're going to love it. Be sure to join us over at storycraft.cafe. Find your tribe. Now on to our show. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner, as always. And today, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome in Terry Brooks. What can you say about Terry Brooks that hasn't been said already? A, a fantasy legend um, who nearly 50 years on uh, of writing and publishing is still pushing the boundaries and bringing out brand new work that is uh, challenging and entertaining and, you know, gives us a new lens to see our world through. And that's what I love about your, uh, your work, Mr. Brooks. And what we were just talking about a minute ago before we went live here uh, is that fantasy is a great way to see the world around you and um you know i've been a fan uh nearly my entire life my my entire reading life for sure and uh i uh love the new book the new book is uh is the third book in a new trilogy it's called sister of starlit seas mm -hmm. and uh the viridian deep series i love this book i know everyone else is too Welcome to the show, Mr. Brooks. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So we we were just uh, conversing about our shared love of William Faulkner, mm -hmm. and you you would think you know a uh, an author who has published fantasy stories for you know published forty five years or, or so probably been writing fantasy stories for close to 50 years. Um, you know, Faulkner is not someone that uh, people would typically associate with, uh, uh, you know, your foundational uh, writing life. T tell us what it is about Faulkner uh, that inspired you so much and, and set you on this path. Well, it, it's, it's kind of a, uh, building project, I guess you'd say, because um, I grew up uh, in an era in the 40s and early 50s where fantasy wasn't really a presence that uh, 
except for a few seminal books like the, the Oz stories and things like that. Sure. Uh, kids my age were not reading that. We were all reading science fiction. Right. That Adventure. Was what, that was what interested us. And in, in, um, me and my friends uh, were all involved in the science fiction uh, TV shows and everything else that were going on at that time, which uh, have long since been forgotten for the most part. I mean, how many people remember Tom Corbett's Space Cadet and that sort of thing? Right. So, uh, I didn't come to fantasy until much later, except uh, for those few books that everybody else was reading, Alice in Wonderland, that sort of thing. I, I really came to uh, came to it through uh, uh, through um, Tolkien. Uh, that was, and I read that in college. Uh, but by that time, I was involved, in, heavily involved in reading other kinds of stories, um, and I ha was also involved in writing. Uh, I had gotten something published at thirteen uh, in a lo local <laughs> Illinois historical journal, uh, where you uh, sub you submitted something about Abraham Lincoln, which you know, speaking of uh, seminal figures, and. Uh, right. So that got uh, that got published, and I got all excited about being uh, being a writer for a while. Um, but I was I was an English major and loved English uh, and had a, an affinity for it. So um, I was a, an English major in college when I went in, and by that time I had read uh, an awful lot in 1700 uh, English literature. Uh, but one of the writers who fascinated me the most was William Faulkner. And by then I'd read all of his work and I had decided to do um, a senior, my senior English thesis uh, on Faulkner's work. And so when you do something like that, you really do have to immerse yourself in, in what he's doing. Sure. Uh, everything about him, what he did about talking about the relationship between the classes, um, uh, mostly of the Deep South, um, and the way they interacted and the way that the poor and the rich preyed on each other in one form or another, um, the haves and the haves not always fighting for position, uh, spoke to me about the world at large. Even at my age, I knew how it worked. Uh, and I thought, this is so good. Um, you know, what can I do with this? Uh, and um, about that time, I read... Uh, Tolkien, and I thought, you know, if we got rid of all these appendices <laughs> and all this stuff that nobody pays attention to anyway, except the scholars, uh, this could be a really interesting way to approach an epic fantasy. So that was kind of my leap stone for going into the whole uh, series. Um, I, I go back to Faulkner periodically to read some, you know, his various works at one time or another. I have to read, read the, uh, Oh, God, no, I can't get the name of it. This is what happens when you reach 80, is you can't remember anything anymore. Um, the story about the bear and the dogs. Oh, my God, what was the name of that? Anyway, that story, that, sh that long, short story, yeah. was probably one of the most seminal things I ever read. It was so powerful to me. It spoke to me in such a powerful way that um, to this day, I just have to go back and reread it again to see how good he was when he wrote that book. I love it. I love it. And what what is so interesting uh, to me is that, uh, you know, we're all telling human stories. Um, mm -hmm. The window dressing may change. Uh, you know, the, the genre 
window dressing and we may take certain classes of people and give them uh, a new designation uh but we're we're still talking about the the differences and the commonalities of people and and how relationships are built or torn apart and um that's what stories are and we just find new and different ways of expressing that that's true and i think it's a lot of it has to do with your affinity for what appeals to you as a writer, if that's what you're trying to do. Uh, how do you choose to couch your story? You know, what what setting, terms, era, characters, and so forth. Um, and that has a lot to do, as a lot of it determined by the way you approach the story that you're telling. So um, I read, I tell other writers all the time, particularly young writers, if you really want to be any good at this, you need to read a lot. You sure. probably should read the, more than do anything else. And not only that, but you should read outside your field. Whatever you're writing, read something else. You'll learn something that way. Right. You know, because it's a new medium. You'll get great ideas just by seeing what writers not working in your field can do with putting a story together. And so, and I'm luckily for me, I'm married to a, uh, former district manager for Walden Books, uh, who handy. reads about four times as much as I do. And she reads all over the board. So um, when she tells me I should read something, I take that as a message from God. And right. I go down there and I read it because there's always, you know, she has an eye for things that are meaningful and expressive and revealing and i think that's what as a as a reader you're always looking for teach me something with what what you're writing tell me something about the world give me some insights into what life is like from your point of view um and that's what expands our knowledge and our our enjoyment and uh, gets us involved in what's going on and it's the one thing that no other form of of, of uh, entertainment can do because of the length of the time and effort you have to put into it, which I like. I like, I don't like things that are over two hours or three hours. I mean, they can be powerful and I'll remember them, but they don't stay with me the same way that a book that I have put a week into or whatever it is um, and has really touched me. Uh, they, put, they put a different kind of, of uh, memory in my mind. Gotcha. Um, I am a uh... 52 i turned 52 a, a couple of weeks ago and <laughs> when, <laughs> in a vague sort of way <laughs> when when i was growing up um there was no shortage of science fiction and fantasy stories mm -hmm. um I, I remember as a kid going to the bookstore and the fantasy section being a couple of bookshelves wide mm -hmm. um and it has grown ever since mm -hmm. to, to now when our local bookstore is called Books a Million. And mm -hmm. when you go in Books a Million, the fantasy section, which then butts up against science fiction, <laughs> uh, you know, takes up one of the huge walls. That, That's that swallowed it up, hasn't it? It's, yeah. it's one of the biggest sections in the store. If, oh, yeah. Maybe eclipsed only by romance. I, I'm not sure. I haven't yeah, measured. That's probably about right. But, yeah. But it's it's huge. And so you know, through my lifetime, it has grown and grown and grown. When you first started writing and publishing, um, you you mentioned the uh, 
the Frank Baum, uh, the Oz books. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple of other books and series, but it wasn't mm-hmm. until Tolkien dropped the, the Hobbit and then the Lord of the Rings that fantasy really kind of became a genre to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. You had a front row seat for all of that and this, this change in our reading habits and uh, then, you know, the writing habits uh, of mm-hmm. authors. Do, as you were witnessing this, could you tell the, the sea change where, where fantasy was coming into, you know, becoming a mature uh, genre and, and I don't mean mature as in the writing style, but as in like a, a, a market force to reckon with. I, I sure could uh, because I was right there at the start of right. it when it really took off. Uh, you were riding that wave. Primarily through Delray Books uh, at that time. And then later some of the other uh, other uh, uh, formats came, came, came in to uh, in, in, also involve themselves. Uh, but there were four or five of them starting out. I remember, you know, I was there with, there was myself and Stephen Donaldson, Piers Anthony, David Eddings, uh, Anne McCaffrey, we were all there at the same time, pretty much in the late 70s and into the early 80s. And so that was really the jumping off point for so much of what still stays with us today in the fantasy field. Um, And at that time, um, well, I was was about only thing that was out there besides Tolkien. So I sort of had the field of myself for a while there. But uh, it was a small field. We all knew each other. And uh, so uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of going around. Uh, the people I knew best were old science fiction writers, you know, all that old cadre, the Futurians and so forth from back in the 30s and 40s. And Lester Del Rey was my editor. So, you know, I got to meet all these guys and yeah. listen to them talk. And of course, that was mind blowing experience, I'll tell you. Um, but then everything just mushroomed all at once in the 80s. And uh, it was really buttressed when we got into uh, Harry Potter. Oh, uh, sure. And some of those, uh, and Philip Pullman, and, uh, you know, all of those other books that uh, became film and practically everything else under the sun and just blew up the field entirely. And today what's happened is that we've all, all of us, from that time, practically been eclipsed by young adult fantasy, which is <laughs> right. massive, massive, massive uh, numbers of people. I don't begin to, you know, I meet these people, uh, interestingly enough, through my work. I, I don't know most of them as much. I don't know, even know who they are, you know, wow. and yet they've got three, four books out there and they're selling all like crazy and I'm thinking, how come I don't know anything about them? And of course, I, the exposure is difficult to obtain if you don't have a direct connection or a reason to do it. I can read so much, but I can only read so much. So, right. So, what do you attribute the uh, the love for fantasy and the rise uh, of these types of stories? What you know, I, I know that you did a a TED talk. Um, several years ago, oh, yeah. uh, why I write about elves. Right. Um, I, I believe that was the name of it. Um, yes, it's been it a while since I watched it. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a, a collective hunger for these types of stories. What, what do was. you attribute that to? I think, I think, I think it was a hunger that was out there. It's interesting because uh, when uh, I think it was a hunger that was out there, but it wasn't being fulfilled. 
uh, or recognize because uh, one of the first things that Lester Del Rey taught me was that because um, I said, you know, this you're going to publish this book. He says, I think it's going to be enormously successful. I had uh, already been turned down uh, and uh, he seemed to feel like some for some reason this was going to go. And he said, people want these books and the publishers and, and, and venues that are turning them down don't see that. They don't believe in it, but I do. He says, I think that market is out there and it's huge and they want more of what Tolkien was writing. But everybody in the field at that point was saying, oh, you know, Tolkien-esque. Nobody wants more of that. <laughs> like since when, you know, something that right. sells like that and does like that, since when doesn't the whole, you know, country want a lot more of that? Um, and that's kind of what they discovered. And it, once that market got going and it, got built on by all the other venues for entertainment. Then it became kind of a mushroom that just ballooned out there and, uh, and grew so fast that the publishers could hardly keep up with it. And now, of course, it's kind of flooded the market. So it's not quite what it was when we started out. But the demand is still out there because people, particularly young people, but all ages, really, I, I've, I've found over the years that my audience started out young, as you might expect, in the teens and the early 20s. Now, if I go back, I can get eight-year-olds from 80-year-olds showing up and talking about those books. And now I got 50 years of perspective looking back, and they come through, and they all have stories. I didn't read anything until my father, my mother, you name it, gave me your book or got me involved with someone else's book and then I moved to your book or whatever. But now it's a clear market and it's been embraced by all facets of the publishing industry. And so there's all these extra shelf spaces being given over to it because there's a market for it. It's like everything else. If it sells, you're going to get people doing it and it's, there's going to be product made available. Do you remember um, what the first um, ideas that you had for that first Shannara book, and it is Shannara, not Shannara, right? That's correct. It is Shannara. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you remember what that first impetus for that first book? What what that that oh, initial my. kernel of an idea was? Yeah, like I could remember yesterday, let alone <laughs> <laughs> however many years ago that was. Nineteen. I started writing that book in nineteen sixty nine. Uh, wow. How the heck? All, I must have been, you know. I must have been about 23 when I first, 24, maybe when I first started writing it. I, I really don't. Um, I think um, I like those books. I like those kinds of sweeping stories. I wanted to write something that was multi-generational, multi-sweeping. I wanted it to be on that venue that says there's no boundaries on who the readers can be. Anybody can read these books. There's nothing in there that would be prohibitive Maybe today, <laughs> in today's climate, I don't know anymore. Uh, but the idea was, these are the kind of books I grew up loving, and I wanted to write something like that. And, you know, is there anybody that can't read Faulkner? Well, maybe if they can't deal with his language, uh, because he's, a, he's an erudite writer, and he's obviously very intelligent, and he's got some dark ideas about the world, but that doesn't 
you know, that's hardly grounds for backing away from something. So, right. That was, I think that's as much as I can remember about it. So I wanted it to be the kind of book anybody could pick up and read if they had an interest in doing so. Gotcha. And your, your Shannara series is, is probably the thing that you're most well known for, but then there's yeah. also the Landover series yeah. and there's the word in the void series. Yeah. Uh, and now um, the Viridian deep series. Right. Uh, when you begin a new series, uh, is it the same process? Um, you know, each time do you, <laughs> do you go to the, to the well in the same way each time? What, where, where do these new worlds begin for you? Uh, there's a lot of it's the same thing, I guess, you know, you do something for a long time. You're, you're, you're going to draw on the same impetuses that you've always used. However, one thing I've learned to my chagrin um, is that uh, it's a whole lot different when you're 20 than when you're 80. Uh, and that uh, the energy level, uh, the functionality, everything else from back then is long gone. And I can't do it that way anymore. I don't have the same capability to endure that I used to have. Uh, so I have to work at a different pace. My time, my times for doing things always change based upon, as you might guess, with most writers, where you are in life, assuming you have a life besides your writing. And so it's different when you're a student. It's different when you're working and you're single. It's different when you're married. It's different when you have children. It's different when you're, you know, if you're working another job and then you're not working another job and right. so on and so forth. So now uh, I am retired from everything. Uh, my kids are all, you know, so old I can hardly stand it. Um, my, my youngest grandson uh, is 27. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> what, what the hell happened? <laughs> uh, so I just, uh, I just have to, you know, I have to adjust each time out with what I can do. So the ways ideas used to evolve and the ways in which I used to structure stories and make it work the way that I wanted them to, they're not there anymore. They don't work in the same way. Um, and certainly my endurance isn't what it used to be. So I have to adjust accordingly. I'm still doing a book a year, roughly. But um, I can see that probably coming to an end and me going to maybe a book every other year, that kind of thing, because, you know, as I get into my 80s, how, how much energy am I going to, more energy am I going to have then than I do now? I can't expect that that's going to happen. Does Has your pre-writing um, uh, routines changed through the years? Uh, some people are dedicated planners and and outline everything and really think through all of the ups and downs of a story ahead of time and then start drafting it some people just right into the dark and just run off you know um has your process changed uh my basic process uh is probably still the same i'm pretty much a planning kind of guy um, and uh, I outlined heavily in the early days. And lately, uh, my wife, my editor, my agent, and so forth on down the line, they all said, you probably need to outline a little more thoroughly in advance these days. <laughs> so I, you know, I listen to what they say. Um, yeah. And I know they're right because, um, you know, for one thing, my memory isn't any, anywhere near as good as it used to be. So I can remember things close up and personal at the moment. Right. 
but if I get away away from it, then some of it starts to drift more, and I have to go back and check, you know, on, on basic basic things like spellings and all that kind of stuff. So that's different too. I just think you have to adjust to where you are at any given age. If you're lucky, you'll get as far as I got without having to do that. And I got all that way really till about three or four years ago. But uh, I'm in a different place now, so I have to take a much more thorough approach. And outlining has suddenly become a much better idea than it used to be. <laughs> but the trouble is, is that it's there's only so much you can do with that. And, you yeah. know, um, I keep telling the editor, I can outline, but I'm going to change it. Right. Because as I write, the writing is going to tell me what's going to work and what isn't going to work and what has to sure. change and, you know, what I can keep. And there's no way you can foresee all this because your mind doesn't stop working. It's like somebody asking you, when do you stop writing? And, well, never. It never. never right. It doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. You're always thinking about your writing. And, um, yeah. you know. Well, and I, the funny thing is. Uh, <laughs> right. And the funny thing is that when you're writing. Um, the characters have a tendency to do what they want to do. And, yeah. and writing is one of the only things that we can say, well, the characters were talking to me and, and they don't want to lock you up when you talk like that. That's writing is one of the only, only times where you can talk to imaginary people and it's just, you know, part of the job. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, characters, you're nuts. <laughs> characters will derail a story in a heartbeat well yeah it will and uh th that continuity is, is is obtained by the fact that you are thinking about it all the time right um and if, you, if you're thinking about anything all the time you're going to have reflections and revisions going on in your thoughts i mean it's like thinking about what happened at the party last night uh, it's going to play out differently in 24 hours than what sure. it really was at the time. But I, I think there there is that 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 the maintenance of that continuity is pretty darn crucial to the success of the story because the books that don't hang together in a way that feels natural are in trouble. Um, you know, then you're into James Joyce <laughs> and you're thinking, what is he saying? Uh, but um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm a pretty straightforward type writer. I'm not a complex writer. So for me, that continuity part is what holds my books together. And I think gives me the readership that I have. Yeah. Fantasy is interesting because uh, you can reflect um, the real world uh, and things that are going on in our real world into this world and have uh, you know, it couched in these great adventure stories and these different characters that have all these different traits. Um, and you can really kind of play through the scenarios of the real world in this imaginary place. Um, the world has changed a lot in the last 50 years. And, and in some ways it has not changed very much at all. Human nature is still human nature. And, mm -hmm. you know, people treat each other poorly for all manner of reasons. All right, so <laughs> all kinds of reasons, you know, no matter which end of the spectrum you're on, people behave badly. Um, mm -hmm. do, have, you, have you ever, do you ever think about how the real world reflects in your writing? And, and do you, do you look at, at things differently now than you did 50 years ago? Oh, I think I probably look at some things differently, but <laughs> like people say, 
<clears throat> so where do you get your ideas? And I said, I just pick up a newspaper and see what's going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm instantly pissed off about something. Right. Almost without uh, exception. Uh, it's like trying to talk about politics and what, what, you know, is there anything new in politics? No, there isn't. Thank you. Uh, do I have any better ideas? No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> do I have any deeper opinions about? No, I don't. Uh, it's it's uh, you're just sort of there for me. I'm always looking for interesting questions. I always ask questions, you know, why in the world did this person do this? You know, or why in the world did these people do that? Um, and I try to think through. You know, is there a, is there something here that could be explored? Uh, so, uh, for example, in the Shannara books, I wrote about a character named Grianna Olmsford. And Grianna Olmsford appears in, I don't know, six or eight books mm -hmm. <laughs> in one format or another. And I wrote about her because she started out as somebody who was taken as a child and subverted. And she became an assassin. She was taught this is what she could do and how to do it and so forth. She's young. She's malleable. You know. So she she did this. Then I wanted to say, all right, what if she discovers that she's been twisted all her life to be the way she is? How does she recover? And then the question is, well, she's already got a reputation. How much of that can she overcome? Of course, I'm back thinking about politics again. All uh, right. <laughs> and tell them evangelists and what have you. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, the answer is, I don't know. Why don't we look at this? Why don't we see what this might be? And then I'm thinking, well, if she gets far enough to one side or the other, can she ever come back? Is there any way to fully redeem yourself? And uh, I decided, no, there probably isn't. But you maybe could do something to pull yourself right. back over in the opinion of the larger population. So those kinds of things intrigue me. And that's the kind of thing I'm always looking for uh, when I'm writing about my characters in, in that series in particular. And uh, just taking a close, hard look at a certain person's life or certain people's lives in interaction with each other, plus alone and saying, what is the logical conclusion of this story? And what do I, what is it that I want the readers to take away? Usually what I want the readers to take away is some kind of speculation about how they think, think things might have worked out or whether they feel like uh, the person was treated fairly or unfairly. Excuse me for keeping going back to my non-alcoholic glass here, but <laughs> I can't, uh, I can barely talk right now. Yeah, I'm doing the same. I've got this tickle in my throat that I keep trying to keep washed down. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite types of fantasy stories, and I would say it's a guilty pleasure, but I don't feel guilty at all about it, okay. is uh, the portal fantasy. And, oh. you know, ever since reading uh, a Connecticut Yankee and King Yankee Arthur's Court, yeah. um, there's something that I just love about those types of stories. So mm -hmm. your Landover series is one of my all-time favorites. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what, I, 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 I've tried to kind of pin down what my fascination with this sub-genre is, but there's just something about this fish-out-of-water 
this person that's transported to another place and everything mm-hmm. is brand new and nothing in that world works the way it does here mm-hmm. that, uh, that I just love. Um, how fun was that series to write for you? Easy. It's the easiest series I've ever wrote. And it's really? because I was writing about myself. I was writing about my own life. I was writing about the time period in my life because it was happening right in front of my face. So there it was where I decided I was going to terminate practicing law for good, walk out the door and go full time to writing books. And it was when I wrote uh, Magic Kingdom for Sale that all this was transpiring. And I thought, what is it here that I want to look at? And I thought, well, this is a life transformation story. You know, you leave one life, you leave one age, because by then I was, I don't know, 42 or something like that. And you move into the next phase of your life and you leave one form of of, uh, making a living to a new form of making a living, one style of life. I was leaving everything behind because I was in a very bad place. I was in the midst of a divorce. I had met my current wife. I was deeply in love with her. I was, you know, I was going to do all these things. I was going to move out of the city I'd lived in all my life and transport to the West Coast and live in Washington State. All this was happening. And I thought, you know, complete upheaval. This is this is a midlife crisis thing going on here. Is what <laughs> it is. Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, so write about that. Write about that. And so I thought, well, what if what if you, you, you what if you you're given a Magic Kingdom? So you get a magic kingdom and you're, you're told you're the king of this kingdom. You get to rule everything that happens in your life. But a lot of people are trying to kill you <laughs> and a lot of people don't like you. And, you know, all those negative types of things. Um, and uh, Lester Del Rey said to me, I tried to sell him this whole thing. And he said, I don't know, you know, and then he said, uh, you know, um, you should uh, probably uh, you should probably go home and, and just see what you can do with this and you know try to put it together in some reasonable form. But I don't know that you're the writer for it. Well, there's mm. the kind of challenge you can't back away from. <laughs> I'll show uh, him. The hell, you say? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I just took it home and, and went with it, and I thought the whole thing was how does he actually make himself the king of a kingdom where nobody believes he's any good? Nobody thinks he can be successful. Nobody thinks he's got anything going for him. And why is he king in the first place? You know, uh, what do you do with that? Um, and I thought that's that's intriguing. And what are the benefits or the negative things and all of that kind of stuff? And so um, it was an easy, and then after that, I just had to, you know, build his story as he progresses through various phases of his education as being a king. And uh, right you know, with his, with his strange friends, <laughs> new friends. It was, it was fun. I, I, you know, I haven't written one of those books now in almost 15 years, but uh, I think about going back to it a lot. I, mean, I probably will at some point. Can I just say that people would definitely buy those books? if you? Yes, I, no. I know that's true. It's been long enough, particularly. I don't have an idea, but you know, I'm in the midst. I just announced the other day I'm doing three new Shannara books. So um, once I get the and I want to, I've written one of them. Um, when I do the other two, I might very well go back and do a Magic Kingdom book just to wrap things up. 
because I don't well, really have any other series I want to go back to right now. So, well, if you need an idea for it, just pick up a newspaper. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what I'll do. Exactly. Whatever's going on at the time, you know, with whatever people there are, Kardashians or whoever, um, whoever. I'll find something weird enough in there that I can I can make use of it. Right. Yeah. So so we've got the the Shannara series. We've got the uh, the Landover series, mm -hmm. the Word in the Void series. That was another departure. What mm -hmm. where what was the thinking for that series? Um, because that to me, that's maybe one of the darkest works that you've it's, done. It's it is dark. Um, it's also uh, I think to this day I think that uh, Running with the Demon was the best book I ever wrote. Uh, and um, I will stand up and defend that. I think, uh, but um, that series got written because uh, I had uh, I, a, an offer I could not refuse. Uh, the kind that says, uh, write a three-book series for us, and we will throw a lot of money in your direction. And, um, and you so say yes. To the I said, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> that all sounds good. Uh, and I, 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 gave it a lot of I gave it a lot of thought, but the main things that were drove it was I wanted to write a story. I wanted to write an end-of-the-world story. Um, and I wanted to write an end-of-this-world story. I wanted to do it. And I went back to the Shannara books and I thought, well, you know, how about the time of what things were like uh, before the Great Wars and before everything changed and uh, uh, we would look at this world and its decline uh, in a series of books um, and see how it evolved into this new world. And that became those, those first three books. So uh, and I had a lot of I had a lot of fun with it. It was a it was a very dark, uh, very episodic, uh, sprawling story uh, that involved elves and everything else under the sun uh, and demons of all kinds, and uh, gave me a chance to put couch everything in in current terms uh, that I saw about the world. Uh, everything, including the fact that uh, in the original books. Uh, the destruction of the old world came about through a apocalyptic uh, destruction of everything. Uh, and uh, at that time I was looking, you know, for that to happen uh, in some fashion or other. So that was basically, and then I wanted to develop a story that showed how people fought their way through issues uh, and managed to get past even the worst things, because we know that happens. Um, and I, I just wanted to see if I could do it more than anything else. Uh, my publisher was distressed, and you will never guess why. They said, this is a great book, but why did you choose to make the main character a woman? <laughs> they did. <Are> serious? <laughs> I am serious. And I said, um, because it works better that way for this type of story I'm telling. Um, also, I was raised in a matriarchy. That's helped format my thinking and involve me much more with women and women's issues and women's thinking and all of this than for most people, or for a lot of people anyway. Um, and also, I'm really not, I don't know, I'm not a, I don't, I don't know how to say this in the right way. I'm not really geared towards male stuff. 
as opposed to, I don't know, more of a central place in the world, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, my friends have always been women uh, for various reasons, but um, I, I just felt like they've been, mostly been my friends. I, I identify with their thinking better mm-hmm. about things, uh, their emotional states. I understand that better. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. My life is kind of weird because I've, I've always done sports and things like that, but uh, it's never been my, I've never been driven that way like I am by books and by relationships, I think uh, is a better way to say it. So that's yeah. shaped me as much as anything does. And to this day, I'm, I'm surrounded by daughters. Um, I have one son who uh, is a, a tech guy, which is, you know, we have two places here in life. We have tech guys who are here. Wait a minute. I got to get this right. One here. And then we have me who's over here. Uh, I, I always ask tech help if I want to actually know how to do anything. Um, so um, I just, I just feel like that probably drives me more um, in terms of, um, I don't know, you know, in my high school class, school for years, I was always the top boy <laughs> in the standings. The next one in class, I was, I don't know, somewhere like 12 or 13 or something like that. Next kid in class, and you know, they tell you this stuff. I don't know why. It seems to me like it's something you don't need to know. Next person was 32. Everybody else was female. So wow. I was in classes constantly. All my classes were always three three or four boys and 28 girls all of them and i i got feeling a little weird about that after a while but um it changed because i went to a male college <laughs> and, and, there were, and I, then i you know it was all i could do just to find a date for the weekend let alone anything else so wow. <laughs> well, well speaking of the the female protagonist and, and this kind of view yes. uh, of story the yeah. the new series viridian deep um yeah. also uh tends that way what where because this this series to me is a complete departure um it from is. from most of your earlier work but when you get to reading it there are definite terry yeah. brooks isms all, yeah you can see through it. it and i just made that up on the spot but That's you know you can I like it <laughs> you can it, your fingerprints are all over it. I mean, you can, this is 100% a Terry Brooks series. You can, you can tell my books. Yeah, even no though, um, you know, the, 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 the window dressing is completely different. So where did yeah. this come from? And it's a, it's a little different tone, a little different perspective. Um, you know, that, that, uh, that, that young adult fantasy that we, touched on earlier it, it well i yeah I'm, I'm writing on i write on the border all the time anyway i'm i'm, I'm really writing uh very close to what uh, the really good young adult writers are writing these days in terms of their skills right. uh, skill set and it, it's a fine line between in fantasy particularly between adult and young adult there are a lot of young adult books i read by uh writers who i think are just terrific just terrific and i i think you know any adult would read this book and have a good time with it because it's sure. smart and you know that sort of thing 
So, but you get, you get a skill habit. It's, it's the same reason. It's the same reason I, I choose somebody like, oh, I don't know, uh, like uh, my protagonist in, in the newest book, um, Young Woman. It just works better for her to be her and not him. She's in prison. Goblins are her jailers. She, her, she doesn't know anything much about her background. Right. And everything she thinks she knows is wrong, you know, even to the point that what she knows about her family is wrong. Um, and I thought, well, for this, we need somebody of character and strength, but also somebody who is likely to be shocked to find these things out because she's relied all these years on her few memories about what she thinks is true. Um, and, ah. Uh, so that's that's why I chose it, and that, that was much the reason with Ness Freemark. Um, I like writing about strong women. Um, that's probably some kind of uh, Freudian issue of that I'm not aware of, but um, I do. I, I, I like I like writing those kinds of stories and uh, examining them and examining the characters and try to explore what they're dealing with and coming to terms with. Um, I like to put them in as much stress and danger as I can. Uh, well, you did that from page I, one. Yes, yeah, yes, you do. <laughs> and that's, you know, I wrote those first couple sentences, and I thought I want to put in the first couple sentences something that people can't put down. Right. You know, and when you say the night they escaped <laughs> from the prison, you know, you've got, you've got people hooked right away. Like, they want to say more about that. Yeah. Something's going on here. Um, yeah, and I, you know, it's funny because when I started out writing books, it, it, they were all done in the, in Tolkien-esque style. Slow, right. gentle. We get into it gradually and it builds from right. there. And you're 150 time, pages before anything happens. I know. And it, really the shadow books start out that way too, but, by the time I was into the 90s and so forth, bang, you were in that book right away or right. you were putting it down and moving on to the next one. And I changed my whole opening style for, for those books uh, and said, you know, that was the whole story behind writing uh, the uh, Writing with the Demon uh, series the way that I wrote it and pretty much everything I wrote after that. Uh, you can see it in, in the way this, the books open. So I think, you, you know, you have to go with the times. Things change. What appeals to the public, what they look for in a story, it's not going to be the same after you've done 50 years of this kind of work. It's going sure, to sure. be different. And if well, you're and not paying attention and, you know, then you readers taste change, the, the yeah. market changes. Well, and and when you have when you walk into a bookstore and you literally have an acre of fantasy books to choose from. Mm hmm. You've got to grab their attention somehow so that they pick this book instead of the right. hundreds, thousands others to choose from. It's why they spend a lot of time on cover art in publishing right. business. And I, re I remember one of the lessons I learned from Lester early on was with uh, uh, Black Unicorn. And uh, Black Unicorn uh, has this garish cover with rainbows and this Black Unicorn that actually looks like a donkey. Um, and all this other stuff going on and this green woman standing there. And I, I told him, I said, I hate this cover. What, what, what are you doing here? I, you know, and he says, you're looking to sell the book, right? Uh, yes. Right. 
And he says, all right, now take that book and walk across the room over there with all those other books and put it face out where they are and on the shelf. I thought, okay. And he said, I'll come back over across the room. He says, all right, now look over there. What do you see? I said, well, I see my stupid book right there. <laughs> and he says, that's right. You see your Bingo. book. And it's right. because of those colors and all that strangeness going on, you've attracted the audience. It's the reason of the color color arts that are used in book. If you put an orange cover up there, people notice it. You know, they right. don't just ignore it. They're gonna say, "What the heck's that?" Um, but he's, you know, he says part of everything you do is uh, grasping the audience's attention and holding it. And I, I have learned that this the no truer words were ever spoken. I, I found that out recently. Strangely enough, with this new series, you know, I thought, well, child of light, they'll just pick that up and look at that. And I said, well, when I got to the third book recently that just came out and started talking to people because I went out on a 10 day tour and they and tons of people came through and they said, we had no idea you wrote these other two books. And I thought, well, my publisher should be shot at dawn. Uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, but it was it was just a case of. They didn't get the word for one reason or another. And you never can take for granted that no matter how successful you are or who you are, that you're going to just simply get, unless you're Stephen King, maybe. Right. You get picked up. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm always conscious of the fact the cover art's important, that all the things that you do to make the book available, because it's, it's, it's not like a movie. It's right. simply not. You don't get the same publicity. You don't get the same attention. It's not like gaming. It's not like any other form of entertainment, not even theater, because you don't get those big color ads or those big photos in the New York Times or anything like that. You don't get anything like that with books. Books right. are subdued and, you know, genteel and are meant to be discovered. Yes, well, you better help people discover them or you're <laughs> going to have an uphill battle. <laughs> Well, the, the new series is Viridian Deep, and the new book is Sister of Starlit Seas, and now is a perfect time to get into the series because the three books are out now, and, and when you get into that first book and you love it, and the way I know you will, you're going to want to grab that second book and then the third book. Um, for folks who are not familiar with the series yet, um, what what's going on? Where do we find ourselves, and what is unique about this world? Well, I've put a fairy world and a human world side by side, separated by a barrier, but uh, you can cross that barrier in certain situations. Um, and I'm writing about somebody who is a young girl who is imprisoned in the human world by goblin creatures come over from the other world. How in the world does that happen? Um, and I'm saying, and the, the people that are all in there are young people and they're all, they're all human. So what's going on? You know, wh why are they there? Most of them don't have a, much of an idea of what they're doing there. And then we get a chance to cross over from one world into the next world. And we begin to see what the difference is between the two worlds, which right away is very apparent. They're very different sp spaces. Uh, neither one is necessarily good, better or worse than the other. It's just that they're different, except there's magic present in, in the fairy world. Uh, where there is there's only magic brought over that's present in the human world. So uh, there's a lot of back and forth thing on that too. But mostly we're finding out that the people in both worlds are very similar in terms of their emotional uh, and uh, 
mental capabilities, um, their fears, the, the things that they're struggling with, and as you know, as we think is true between countries as well. Um, and, and there's a, a, a different mindset in some ways, but mostly they're all up against the same problems. And our girl in, that's come over from the other world is discovering that the thing she's up against is discovering that nothing she thought was true about herself is true. And her whole life is going to be in an upheaval. And on top of everything else, she's falling in love with a fairy creature. You know, we got to dress this up, right? Uh, so, I, you know, I just, I see tons of possibilities for this sort of thing. And I've written three books. I don't know if I'll go on from here or not. I'm pretty content with where it is right now, but you know, I may get an itch down the road to do another one or two. I love it. I love it. And recently we announced that um, you're returning to Shannara. I am. Yes. Uh, so what, when, when you have a, uh, I, said I was retiring. Well, uh, I was very careful about it though, because I'm yeah. tricky that way. I, I, all my announcements said the same thing. I was going no further forward in this story. So there would be no more, no more after this last book, last Druid was the end of the series moving, moving elsewhere. Then I moved elsewhere for a while. Uh, but what I didn't say is I wouldn't go back. Pretty tricky, huh? So uh, I did go back and in fact chose a spot to write about uh, that is uh, in a different part of a, of something I've not talked about before and that has been referred to over and over again and, and really feels to me like it needs to be covered for me to call this series complete, which I would like to be able to do. So that's what I'm doing. Love it. Uh, will that <laughs> debut uh, around this time next year? Yes, uh, probably in October, I think is what okay. they're looking at right now. I would like to see it earlier than winter. Uh, this year I went only to warm climates, uh, and I could only go in a few places because, uh, number one, I'm not who I was, and uh, number two, I had a limited time period to work with yeah. uh, because of my involvement in the next book in the Shannara series that I wanted to have finished before I even left on tour. Didn't quite make it, but I got close. Gotcha. Yeah. Sister of Starlit Seas, the Viridian Deep Book Three, available everywhere now. Go visit your local bookstore, pick up a copy of it. If uh, if you don't have a, a great local bookstore close to you, we'll <laughs> drop links in the show notes where you can pick it up from Amazon or Audible uh, if you prefer to listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Uh, Sister of Starlit Seas, available everywhere now. Uh, Mr. Brooks, if if people want to dig into all that you have created over these last five decades, um, is, is there a, a, a place that's a, a good place to start to get familiar with your work and to, to jump in? Well, everything I write is written in series. So all the books at the front of the books list what's in each series. So the trick is don't read the middle book of a three book set. You know, <laughs> go to the first book in any set and anything that looks catch your interest and pick it up and start there. And you'll know quick enough that this is something you want to pursue. And then you can take it from there. There's 30 books in the Shannara series and there's six and however many three and uh, I don't know, however many more of the others. So uh, you can tell pretty quickly uh, what you're up against if you're going to go in. But if you just pick a book, book off the shelf, you're taking a risk. It's true. You should look at inside the 
uh, index there and see what the bibliography is and see what's uh, what's listed. <coughs> Mr. Brooks, thank you for providing us with uh, hours and hours of entertainment over the <laughs> years. And um, the the new series, uh, if you're a fan of, of Terry Brooks' writing, you're absolutely going to love this. And we also look forward to dipping back into Shannara next year. Uh, Mr. Brooks, thank you so much for taking time to come. Thank you, Hank. It's been a joy. I've been having a really good time talking with you. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.